in a new year. First Timothy chapter four, if you'll turn there. We're going to read verses 12 through 16. First Timothy chapter four. Paul writing to his son in the faith, the one whom he loves so much. This is the first of the pastoral epistles. And he does say, Timothy, verse 12, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and conduct and love and spirit and faith and purity. Till I come and give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. And meditate on these things, give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine, continue in them, for in so doing you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Let's pray. Father, I do ask that you would just take your word, Lord, plant it in our hearts, that it may take root there and fruit may be produced in our lives. We don't want to just be hearers of the word. We want to be doers of the word. And I pray that this morning that we'd be, Lord, settled, that we would turn the ringers off our phones, that we want to be attentive. We got a few minutes in your word. So I pray that you would just touch our hearts, teach us. This is not just a letter for Timothy 2,000 years ago. This is the inspired word of God. This is for us here at Calvary Chapel. And Lord, I pray that as we go through these things, that we would be encouraged, we would be instructed how you desire for us to be a godly example. Because the world needs to see it. The people that are linked to us in our lives need to see that godly example in us. That they see the reality of Jesus that is in our hearts and being worked out in our lives. So, Lord, we thank you that we can be here. We thank you that we can read truth. And, Lord, that we can benefit and be blessed. Because we came here to be with you and to hear from you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, you know, over the 30 years of ministry that I've been doing, there's a lot of people that I have met, and there's always a few appointments and, and people that you've talked to that you, you don't really forget about in, in conversations. And I remember several years ago, there was a mom who brought in their teenage son, and she came in my office and brought him, and you need to talk to him, Pastor Jeff. And he didn't come willingly. She, she came and uh, kind of made him come, and he was a teenager. And, and I remember sitting down and talking with them and as she was talking, and just um, the conversation continued. He turned to her and said, why should I be a Christian? Because I don't want to be like you. And I remember him turning to me and then saying, why should I be a Christian? Because I got a couple guys that... I work with that say that they're Christians and they're no different than what I do and what I say. They cuss, they party, they they love to go out. Why should I be a Christian? And I've heard comments like that before from people and it really breaks my heart because you and I as Christians, 
we're called to be godly examples to others. And as I mentioned last week, that we have great influence, I think greater than we think, to others to be able to bless them and be a benefit to them. You see, people are looking for light. They really are in the darkness and the days in which we are living in. They just don't know where to find it. And I pray that they do see it in us and they find it in us. They're not going to find perfection, are they? But may they see that we have the reality of Jesus Christ that is in our hearts being worked out in our lives. And as I mentioned last week, we got greater influence than I think that we sometimes consider because to our children and to family and to the workplace, those who are working alongside of us, those that we live next to, our neighbors and friends, that we have opportunity to be a godly example to them, to display that light and the love of Jesus Christ, to be able to be a benefit and a blessing to them. And so the Lord desires for us to do that. And as we look at Scripture, it's wonderful to see the men and women of faith that lived as godly examples. I think about in the book of Genesis, Joseph. He was betrayed by his brothers, thrown into a pit, and sold into slavery. But yet, whatever circumstance he found himself in, whether he was in Potiphar's house and then he got accused wrongly by Potiphar's wife, thrown in prison for a number of years, uh, whether he was the prime minister of Egypt, he was a godly example. And as he would stand before Pharaoh after being years in prison there, that as he interpreted the dream for Pharaoh, Pharaoh said, Can one find such as one as this man who has the Spirit of God? I think about Joshua, who for 40 years would serve Moses in the wilderness. But then he would bring the children of Israel into the promised land and drive out the inhabitants. Think about Daniel, who was taken off as a young man to captivity, and he is there in the palace of Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man on the face of the earth. And he was such a godly example. And also to Darius, when the Medes and the Persians took over, and it tells us in the book of Daniel that it was seen in him, this excellent spirit. And you see, the spirit that is in them is the same spirit that is working in us. So we have that opportunity to be a godly example to others, and we're called to do that. And we know that Paul the Apostle, you remember that last week that we read that he said, Timothy, at the end of Paul's life, you know my manner of life. You know my manner of life, how I lived. You know my, my, manner, my doctrine, my love, my persecutions, all those things. He would say to the Corinthian church, that imitate me as I imitate Christ. And here in our text, Paul writes now to Timothy, you be an example to the believers. Be a godly example, Timothy. And it is God's will that we manifest the life of Jesus Christ in our lives to others, to those who are not only believers, but also to non-believers, those who are in the dark, those who are confused, those who are wondering and struggling in this world. Where's everything headed? Nothing makes sense. We have answers for them. We're able to be a godly example to them. Because we know that being a witness is not only giving the gospel, but is also living the gospel. The gospel that has the power of God for salvation for all who believe, as Paul would write in Romans. You see, in this epistle, Paul, after he is released from prison in his first imprisonment, 
We know that the book of Acts in with Paul, he went through a series of trials that began in Acts chapter 20. He's arrested in Jerusalem. He spent a couple years in Caesarea. He appealed to Caesar. The book of Acts ends with him going into Rome. He spent a couple more years under house arrest. He stands before Caesar Nero. He would be released. And sometimes between his first imprisonment and his second imprisonment, he writes to pastoral epistles. This here, 1 Timothy, is writing to Timothy. Timothy, who joined Paul as you read the book of Acts on Paul's second missionary journey. He saw something in Timothy that, that he says, Timothy, you come and join us and travel with us. At that time, Timothy was just 16, 17 years old is what some scholars suggest. And I find it interesting that, that Paul here, during this time, he says to Timothy in verse 12, let no one despise your youth. Timothy has been ministering with Paul for a number of years at this time. He was faithful to Paul. He learned from Paul. He would be persecuted along with Paul. And Paul at this time is appointing Timothy to be the pastor of the church at Ephesus. Now, the church of Ephesus was a major church in proconsular Asia. And we read about how Paul established the church of Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. That Paul went there. He taught at the school Tyrannus. He taught a lot of disciples there that went out and they planted other churches there in proconsular Asia. And then Paul also, as he was preaching in Ephesus, the city was turned over to the gospel. People were coming and they were burning their occultic books and, and you know, they were uh, getting rid of their little idols. And the silversmiths who made those idols finally just drove Paul out of the city. Paul would leave at that time, and as you move into Acts chapter 20, you recall that he's on his way to Jerusalem. On his way to Jerusalem, he meets with the elders at Ephesus, and he's meeting with them. And he just, I, I, I love chapter 20. It's one of my favorite chapters in the scriptures as far as being encouraged as a pastor. Because Paul here, he's pouring out his heart to those elders. He's saying, you know what manner of man I was in all seasons. I held nothing back from you. And went house to house preaching the gospel. And even though I was persecuted by my brethren. And I'm determined to, to finish my race with joy that is set before me. Even though that the Holy Spirit has testified to me. Uh, chains and tribulations that await me. He says I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God's word. And then he would say to them that know this. That savage wolves are going to rise up and speak in perverse things, drawing disciples after themselves. Don't you remember how I warned you day and night for three years with many tears? And as Paul would see those elders for the last time, he was warning them. Well, the years would pass, and Paul then went through that series of trials. And, and here we see that he leaves Timothy at this time that he's writing to him to be the pastor of that church. Timothy had to deal with, with the you know, people that were there that were causing strife, that were legalists and pulses. They don't have any indication or know the implication of what they're teaching. And, and he's encouraging him. And it's interesting here that he says, don't let anyone despise your youth, Timothy. And Timothy's here in his 30s. He's not so young chronologically, but perhaps he's saying that because, Timothy, this is now you're a pastor of a church. You're a pastor of a very influential church, probably a very large church. Maybe he's speaking of his inexperience in doing that because Paul's writing to them, you need to appoint elders and deacons, and here's church order and conduct and all of this. 
I know when I started the church here, I was in my 30s, my early 30s, and, and I remember people, they would kind of once in a while like to get their little digs in. Oh, Pastor Jeff, this is your first pastorate, and you're young, and you'll learn. Well, this is still my first pastorate. They don't call me young anymore. But you do learn as you, as you, you know, have the years of ministry that are behind you. Don't let anyone despise your youth, Timothy. And I just want to say this. For you who are young, we don't want to despise you. We want to encourage you. And I pray that we are never a church that we despise our young people. There are some churches that are that way. They say to the young people, move aside. You have to wait. You have no ministry here. And I am so excited about the young people that are here that want to grow in the Word of God, that want to do ministry, that are being used of the Lord. And we say that our young people are the future of the church. You guys are the church. You guys are the church. And you have a place here. And we want to come alongside of you, and we want to bless you and encourage you and grow you in the Word of God and to know that God wants to use you. It was Daniel that was 17 years old when he went off to Babylon. It was Joseph that was only 17 years old. Mary, when the, the angel came, Gabriel, and said that you're with child, the Christ child, scholars say that she was about 16 years old. And as you move through Luke's gospel and you see the Magnificant, her praising the Lord. You see a young lady there with such depth of maturity and the word of God in her. It's absolutely amazing. You who are young, go for it in the Lord and serve the Lord. As I said, to, to, you know, we have people here that have gone in the mission field that are young and are in the mission field. And it's exciting to see that. And you may not be called to do that. But wherever God has placed you, Whatever gifts he's given to you, you have a ministry. You're in the mission field wherever you go. So don't let anyone despise your youth, Timothy. The other side of the spectrum is this. Don't despise our elderly people either. We are to listen to them. We are to honor them. They have so much to offer. I think about Moses, who was 80 years old when he began his ministry. Caleb, in the book of Joshua, he was 85 when he fought the Amalekites. And don't despise if not highly educated. I always, you know, am amazed. I think it's wonderful when somebody, you know, continues in education. I think it's an amazing thing. I think it's beneficial. But we know that it's the Spirit of God that's working in us. Because you remember that it was the apostles that stood before the Sanhedrin Council there in Acts chapter 4. And they were untrained and uneducated. But the, the council marveled because they had perceived that they had been with Jesus. What about you and me? People today see the craziness of the world, the weirdness of the world. They're seeing how messed up the world is. People are facing all kinds of struggles and problems and hurts. They're discouraged. They wonder if anything makes sense. People are full of fear right now. Is there any hope? And I pray that they would see and perceive that you and I, that we've been with Jesus. They at this time, people that are linked to you, may not be interested in coming to church with you. They may not be interested in a Bible study. But they are watching your life. 
And your life is to be a light to the world because you have the light of the world in you. And when they hear that you are a Christian and a believer in Jesus Christ, then they are going to be watching you and they're going to be looking at you very, very carefully. So be an example. Because people are watching you. We're a marked people. How is it that we can be an example? Well, Paul tells us in our text as we read six things that we are to be an example to the believers, number one in word. In our speech is what it means here. And you remember if you were with us a couple of weeks ago when we finished chapter 26 of Matthew, that there's Peter. He's in the courtyard of Caiaphas. He's warming himself there. The Lord has said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the sound of the rooster. And as Peter starts warming, there's a servant girl that comes up and says, you're one of them. And he begins to curse and swear and deny the Lord. You're one of them. You're a Galilean because your speech shows it or your speech betrays you. Somehow they knew that he's one of those Galileans that's following Jesus. Most of the uh, disciples were from Galilee. Your, Your speech shows it. And we know that as we read that, that people can tell where you and I are at spiritually by the words that we speak. As we read this, Paul was uh, there instructing Timothy against those who brought division and, and those who were teaching wrong doctrine. And he would say to the Philippians, you need to deal with the division that's in the church. And there will be those who will come along, even as we read here in this epistle, that are going to tell you to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving. But do you remember in Matthew chapter 14 that Jesus said, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, that's what defiles a man. For those things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a person. So the Bible tells us, our Lord tells us, that what is really in our hearts is going to come out in our mouths. So the question to ask myself, this is for all of us, and So what's been your speech lately? What is the words that are coming out of your mouth? Is it constantly negative things that are coming out? Harsh things? Murmuring and complaining all the time? Gossiping constantly and consistently? The Bible speaks about useless babblings and speaking carnal things and coarse jesting and words that cause strife. And it's not just in the words that we say verbally, but you see, we can apply this to what do we put on social media? What are we putting on social media that people are reading? And if we are ones that we are just constantly speaking like the world or murmuring, complaining, that one of the things that any of us that are parents, we know this to be true, is our kids grow up, guess what they're going to be learning? They're going to be learning to talk just like you. And that's why it's very important that in our homes, even as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, that we are to be ones that we have spiritual hymns and spiritual blessings and and that we are to have the praises of God that are being expressed from us with thanksgiving. May that fill our homes. May our kids hear us talk about the things of the Lord not just complaining and murmuring the boss this and the government that and, and, and just constant, constant being negative all the time. Being negative. 
telling the dirty jokes at the job site, just talking like the rest of everybody else. What are we saying when we're around others and other Christians? I pray that we would have the praises, as I said, in the thanksgiving of God coming out of our mouths, that our speech would be seasoned with, with grace, which is so uplifting. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. Our speech should show if Jesus truly makes a difference in our lives. That we're trusting him and resting in him. That he's in our hearts. And they have the word of God that we're to bring forth from our hearts. Encouragement and edification. The world really needs that. Secondly, we can be an example to the believers in conduct. That word means behavior, lifestyle. Again, our behavior, what we do, will show others if we really have a love for the Lord, if we're walking with him. In the beginning of this chapter, as you travel through it, Paul again tells Timothy, instruct the brethren in these things. Well, what things? All the things that he has been writing to Timothy about in this letter. Make sure that you give sound doctrine. And as you do that, you're a good minister of Jesus Christ, Timothy. And the good doctrine that you teach, make sure that you, Timothy, carefully follow it. In other words, you live it. And as you live it, it will show in your behavior in a way that you live your life. We know that the world's philosophy is that you live for yourself. The world says that we're to pursue pleasure, do whatever it is that you want to do. And we are constantly bombarded with that kind of philosophy because it's all around us. There are so many voices that are telling us that we should live as we please and everybody else should live as they please and whatever it is that they do, whatever lifestyle that you're to celebrate it, you're to embrace it. It is very easy for us to get our eyes and our focus on temporal things rather than living for eternity. Paul would write in Colossians chapter 3 that we are to set our minds on the things above, not on the things of this world. Listen, we live life, we got jobs, we got things we need to do, we can enjoy doing different things, but the priority is we're to be heavenly minded is what we're to be. Philippians 3 tells us that our citizenship is in heaven. So we are to be a, a people that are heavenly minded and to be living for heaven, that is the priority for us. And when we set our minds on the things above, it will show in our conduct, our behavior, how we live, how we live life. That we're looking forward to heaven, knowing that this life is short, it's but a vapor, living for the Lord. That's why I put the return of the Lord before you. One of the reasons is because Jesus said to, that you be the wise and faithful servant that's looking for the master's return, because I come at a time that you do not know. I come when you least expect it. So we saw that as we went through the Olivet Discourse. But John in his epistle, he would write that when we see him, we will be like him. And he who has this hope purifies himself. In other words, if we're living in the expectancy of the return of the Lord, if we're thinking, Lord, maybe perhaps could it be that maybe today that you can come for me. We don't know the day or the hour, but you can come for your church and also knowing that tomorrow isn't promised to any of us, it's going to have a purifying effect on our lives. We know that to be true. You're not going to be living after the world and for the world. Life is but a vapor. And live for the Lord. Be an example in your conduct. 
And as you are living for the Lord, you're going to really enjoy life the way it was meant to be enjoyed. Because Jesus said, I came to give you life and life abundantly. And when he says life abundantly, he isn't saying that you're always going to be healthy and wealthy like some of the TV preachers will teach. But you're going to experience that abundant life that the Lord has for you. You're going to have that joy. You're going to have peace. You're going to have his love being worked out in you. Matter of fact, I was listening to Greg Laurie on the radio, and he said something that kind of applies to what we're talking about. He was talking about a research that was done, and they did a survey on just a broad range of people. What is the, the one thing that you desire in life? What are, what are the things that are most important to you? And the top th- three things that came back in this research was people want love, they want to be loved, they want joy, and they want peace. Isn't that interesting? It wasn't we want a big house, you know, we want a million dollars. That was down the list. And people pursue those things. But what people really want in their hearts and in their souls and in their lives is they want love, they want joy, they want peace. Aren't those the things that we talk about at Christmas? You know, joy to the world, peace to all men, goodwill. You know, we talk about the love of God. Those things are only found in Jesus Christ. As you live for him and walk with him, you're going to have strength. You're going to have wisdom in this world that is so confused. And in your heart and in your soul, you're going to truly be satisfied and you're going to be fulfilled. That is only found in the Lord. It doesn't mean that you can't enjoy things in life. But lasting, true fulfillment and satisfaction in your heart and in your soul and living in true wisdom is when you say, I'm going to live for him and you will live in freedom and you will experience life in a way that the world will never be able to offer you. And great is the day when we say, yes, Lord, I believe that. Because any of us, even as Christians, if we are living for the world and the focus is on the world and the focus is about me and I'm the priority, then you're going to be terribly disappointed. You may have some satisfaction. You may have some, you know... Fulfillment for a short time, but as you travel through life, you'll begin to wonder, is this what life is all about? There's no substance. There's no true purpose. You begin to wonder. I've talked to a lot of people that they just live for themselves, and they are so empty. You know, this time of year, I try not to eat too many Christmas cookies. And Sue made some cookies last night. They were really good. I've done really well till last night. And I did only eat, you know, a few. Um, but I could eat Christmas cookies from now till Christmas. And I just love them. I, I love that and Christmas candy and things like that. And even though I, I love it, it tastes good, I know that it's not healthy for me. I need to eat other things that are healthy for me. And if you really want to live life where you are healthy spiritually, then you need to be taken in the things of the Lord. If you really want to live life and enjoy life the way it was meant to be, then make priority the kingdom of God to keep your eyes on heaven and your mind on heaven. So you be an example in word. You be an example in conduct. And then Timothy, and for us here at Calvary Chapel, number three, is the word be an example in love, to love others. 
Jesus said, all men will know that you are my disciples for your love for one another. God's love in us being worked out to where we can love others. And we are told in Scripture, the Lord tells us, remember back in Matthew chapter 5, that we're to love our enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. He said, what reward do you have if you only love those that, that love you? He said, even the tax collectors, you know, don't they do the same? And I am thoroughly convinced that the Lord has brought people into my life that were very, very difficult because he's teaching me to love. That's a big one. He's still teaching me to do that. But people need to see that we care for them and we have the love of Jesus Christ in them. It's not the sloppy agape. But as you know what, I really care for you. And we look at people as we hurt for them because we have a love for them. And that includes the people that are hard to love. I'm not talking about that we allow people to hurt us, take advantage of us, but we are to love them. I love them enough to where we're praying for them. To love them enough to give them truth. Listen, if you are not giving people truth, then you're not truly loving them. If you're saying to them, just live any way that you want, it doesn't matter what you believe. I've heard parents say that. It doesn't matter what my kids believe. It, you know, they, whatever. Listen, it does matter. It matters what it is that they believe. And sometimes we think, you know, I don't want to give my kids, tell them what, what they're doing is sin or it's wrong because I love them. No, if you love them, you will speak the truth in love. And you will say, I love you enough to give you this truth of what God's word has to say. And this is going to hurt you. This is going to lead you down a road you don't want to go. And I love you enough to say that. So we love people. Fourthly, be an example in spirit. That is, you're walking in the spirit. You're relying on the Holy Spirit to guide you and to direct you. You're not trying to figure everything out in your own understanding. You're to be an example in spirit. And as you are, as you're living after the spirit, Galatians 5, walk in the spirit. That's a continual walking. Then you will fulfill the lust of the flesh. As you walk in the spirit, the fruit of the spirit is what? Love. And joy and peace and long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So many people are out of control. We're to have patience. So many people are, have no patience at all. They're not gentle. They're harsh. They're not kind. That's what we are to do as we walk in the Spirit. They have that excellent Spirit that we talked about that is in Daniel, was in Joseph. We're to walk in the Spirit so people see that truly that God is working in our lives. And then fifthly, we're to be an example in faith. Be an example to a believer in faith. You're trusting in God. You're living in the expectancy and hope that God is faithful and God's word and promises are true and that he's working good in your life. I think about Moses. He's up against the Red Sea and took a staff and he said to the people, be still and see the salvation of the Lord. And he parted the Red Sea. I think about Joshua, the great victory they had, as I've already mentioned, because he was a man of faith that drove out the inhabitants. That Nehemiah, that man of faith, that as the rubble was all around, the people said, this is too hard. We can't build the wall around 
Jerusalem, he said, yes, you can, because God is great and awesome. We talk about we're to be faithful men and women, but we need to be men and women of faith to say that God's word is true and is for me. And it is true for me in every area of my life as I read it. And I believe God's word. I think about Joseph in the Old Testament. He went through those tough times. He was betrayed by his brothers. He was sold off into slavery. He ended up in prison. All these things that happened to him. And at the end of his life, God had blessed him. He would say to his brothers, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And we can face the difficulties and trials in life, and all of us, we may not understand why it is that we're going through the trials that we're in. And in those times, we are to have faith that God is working. And when we're confronted and going through those things that we don't understand, and we're saying, Lord, why? We know that he is true. And one of the things that really struck me this week and our midweek is going through the book of Habakkuk. And there's the prophet, and he's, he's got this complaint against the Lord. He's saying, Lord, why is all this happening? Why do I see the things that I see? And it doesn't make sense. And the, all the, the violence and everything else has taken place. And the Lord answered Habakkuk and said, that Habakkuk, I will work a work in your day. And that really ministered to me this week. That in the challenges and then wondering and thinking that I can trust the Lord because he's doing a work today and he's doing a work in your life. He promises to work all things for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. James says that we're to count it all joy when we fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience and let patience have his perfect work that you may be perfect. That word means mature and complete, lacking nothing. Those of us who have lived a little bit longer lives, that as we go through life, we go through trials, and all of us do. And as we've seen God working in those trials, it grows us, it matures us. He is working. We know that God loves us, that he'll never leave us or forsake us. We can stand fast in the faith and the promise of God because he is faithful and so loving and good. And then finally, sixthly, be an example to the believers in purity. We hear so much in the world today how we're to have pure air, pure water, pure food. But the world today lacks in the area of purity spiritually and morally. And even in the church, the world is so polluted. And people are gasping for a breath of fresh air. You and I are to be that breath of fresh air. I want to say this to all of us, but particularly you young people. Do not buy into the philosophy and the ways of the world and telling you that you can live any lifestyle that you want to live and you can compromise morally, sexually. Do not buy into the lies of the world because you're going to be cheated and you're going to be robbed. And remember this, that this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Every commandment that God gives to you, listen, is an expression of his love for you. The best way to live is the highway of holiness and purity. 
And we can think, well, God doesn't want me to have any fun. Or God wants to be a killjoy. Or why can't I live any way that I want? He loves you so much, he gives you these commandments to walk in purity and holiness, to walk the highway of holiness so you can be free. So you can be healthy. Because his ways are true. Please, don't buy into the lies of the world. Don't compromise. Go for it in the Lord, as I said. Live for the Lord. And you will experience that abundant life, and you will be free, and you'll be healthy. But don't buy into what the world tells you is acceptable when the Bible says that it is sin. And it's a loving father that says to you, I don't want you to sin because you're going to get hurt. And you're going to be deceived and you're going to find yourself in bondage. Listen, he loves you. And he wants the very best for you. So he says, I want you to walk in purity. I want you to walk in holiness. And as you do, you're going to discover that your heart is going to be refreshed and renewed and blessed in your life as well. So we're to walk and be an example in purity. And then one more verse. Until I come, give attention to reading the exhortation to doctrine. He finished this section by saying, Take heed to yourself, Timothy, and to the doctrine. In other words, you continue to give attention to the reading of the word, to exhorting the Christians in the word, the sound doctrine, a theme that you see over and over again in this letter. The word of God is nourishment to our spirit and to our soul. The word of God is a way to growth. And taking in the word of God, which is alive and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. The word of God is going to nourish you, edify you, strengthen you. You can be an example in faith, because faith comes by hearing, and hearing what? By the word of God. How can I be an example in spirit? Jesus said that the words I speak to you are spirit and life. How can I be an example in purity? Thy word I have hid in my heart that I may not sin against you, Lord. Psalm 119, verse 11. How can I be an example in love? Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will bring forth much fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Is love. And again, I want to remind you that we need to be a people that are faithfully and consistently that we are in the word of God, being established in it. Because his word is true for you. And it will help us as we read the instructions of the Lord. Here's the wonderful thing about being a Christian. That he tells us what to do. And then he gives us the power to do it. He tells us how to live. And then he gives us the power to do it. And as you do, you'll be an example to others that are linked to you in your life. A godly example. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for these words. There's more that we could talk about, but I just pray that we would continue with these things that we've learned about and really pray through them. Lord, how can I be an example in words? And if there's correction that is needed or a change, that we would do that. Or in conduct, in our faith, Lord, walking in the Spirit, depending on you. Because we can't do these things on our own. Believe in your word. 
walking in purity. And we know that we can be an example to the believers. Lord, that we would give attention to you, to the things above. And Lord, that we would be light to others. Give wisdom in the confusion. That we, Lord, would be able to give the truth and love to others. And they would see it in their own lives. We know, they're, again, they're not going to see perfection. Not at all. But may they see the reality of Jesus being worked out in their lives. Father, I just want to pray if there's anyone watching or here that you've never given your life to Jesus Christ for salvation. That Jesus, he gave us the greatest gift 2,000 years ago. He came to this world. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What an incredible night. The, the Christmas story is one of the greatest salvation accounts that we get to, to look at and remember every year. And when those angels looked down into the face of that little baby, they were looking into the face of God himself. And they marveled that God would even care for this world, but send his son, who then went to a cross to die for your sins. And he rose from the grave. And he is your hope. He's your forgiveness. He's your salvation. It's not found anywhere else. And the invitation is given to you to receive the free gift, the greatest gift that you can receive at Christmas time, anytime. It's the free gift of salvation and coming in faith and calling out on the name of the Lord. As you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ died for you and rose from the grave, that you shall be saved. You can do that. Today is the day of salvation. That you pray, Jesus, I come to you and I humbly say that I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Forgive me. I believe you died for me and I thank you for that you rose again in your life and I ask that you sit upon the throne of my heart as my Lord and Savior because I want to walk with you and I thank you for eternal life that is promised to me but I want to experience that abundant life as I learn of you to trust you to live for you and I thank you for this new beginning in Jesus name Lord, for all of us, as we head out, Lord, I pray you keep those safe who are traveling and bless our time with family and friends this Christmas and may it truly be a time of just marveling at the Christmas story, the giving of your son, that true joy and peace and goodwill would come into our hearts and into our homes. So, Lord, thank you. And we look forward to celebrating the birth of Jesus together. Thank you for this morning. As we leave this place going out into our mission field to be a light to others. So we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand?